Hi, I'm Samara B. Davis, founder of Black Bourbon Society, executive director of Diversity Distilled, and you are listening to Cast Chasers Podcast. Hey, Cast Chasers, we've got another treat for you in continuing our Women in Whiskey series this month. We will be joined by Samara Davis, CEO and founder of the Black Bourbon Society and executive director of Diversity Distilled, a regular juggernaut of social media, marketing, and all things related to the business side of bourbon. So pour a dram and settle in. This is the Cast Chasers Podcast. So Bobby, Aaron. Hey. Hi. How's it going, guys? Good, it's good. Going pretty good. I mean, yeah. I saw my therapist. Oh, I'm sorry. You weren't asking. Wrong show. Okay, Wrong show. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We, we appreciate that you're doing well. Thanks for being thanks, here with us today. <laughs> I am also doing good. I didn't need anybody to be good with. I just friends, whiskey, and you're a great yourself guest. on the shoulder. You're, you know, yeah. you know, I see we're all branded too. Cast Chasers logos. Not Aaron? No? No. Okay. I'm, I'm wearing a Captain Marvel One t-shirt day. today. One day. We got a cool, cool episode coming up. Yeah. Great yeah, guest. Absolutely. And I think that this is this is the point where I definitely want to bring her on into the conversation because joining us in this episode of the Cast Chasers podcast, we have marketing and social media strategist, founder and CEO of the Black Bourbon Society, founding director of the nonprofit Diversity Distilled, and one of wine enthusiasts 40 under 40, Samara Davis. Samara, thank hey. you so much for being here. Yeah, this is great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Had to take a big breath before rolling through your accolades. You've, you've got a lot going on there, lady. <laughs> you know, the one that always gets me is the, the 40 under 40 because I'm no longer under 40. Um, so <laughs> I'm just glad I made the cutoff for that. <laughs> it's all right. It's like celebrating a birthday, right? Like this is the first anniversary of being 40 under 40. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I literally it um I literally got that like I think it was like nine weeks before my fortieth birthday. So it was like, yes, I made it. Like it was such an accomplishment. That's awesome. And now you just you just get to like slap it on on profiles and everything and yeah, that's that's where I am. Don't question yeah, it. Like the next like year or two. You know, like yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna milk it for all it's worth. And then like when I get close to like forty two, forty five, then I'll like, okay, I'll hang it up. Like I'll I'll let it I'll let it go off my resume. I'm thirty nine, so I'm still waiting on somebody to tell me I did something under forty. And then <laughs> if not, I'll be the whatever under fifty. You and did I'll, something under forty, I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, I did some things under under forty. That's that's for sure. That is a an impressive resume first and foremost. I mean, that is social media wise. That's obviously how we found you because we're very ingrained in the social media world, specifically the whiskey world. And you're everywhere and you're a huge voice out there and people are listening and that's, it's crazy impressive. So it was one of the reasons we reached out to have you on the show because we thought we just wanted to kind of highlight that to our listeners and kind of bring you to that stage. What we do and what you do or the beginning stages with it kind of parallels a little bit. We were we weren't making whiskey. We weren't distillers. We were people that saw an art form and wanted to bring it to a group. Our group was people that weren't whiskey people or people that you know were scared to come into the world of whiskey. 
So we developed a stage, and that's what Cast Chasers is. And then you developed a stage, and I've listened to some of your some of your talks and 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 um, on YouTube and different podcasts. That stage was for a group that was basically undermarketed too, which right. I found you don't think about that really. Mm-hmm. You don't really consider that aspect. It's not your brain doesn't go to that idea. Can you talk a little bit about that idea and where marketing should have been, where where marketing failed that community and everything? A little more on that. Um, and I love how you kind of rolled this out because I do see us as like, we're not in the bourbon industry, we're bourbon adjacent, right? Like we are the ones that are like, we are the, we're the fan clubs, we're the societies, like we are the ones that are communicating and influencing consumers, right? So like, we are very, like much a part of this industry. And a lot of us do this out of the love of the, the spirit, you know, we often we don't get paid. Sometimes we pick up sponsorships and, and funding for, you know, our podcast, but um, it doesn't start off that way, right? Like there's no job for this. This is just something we all create. Um, and that's very much how and why I started Black Bourbon Society. I realized that um, there wasn't a lot of direct consumer marketing geared towards consumers of color. Uh, you know, we're five years old. So in the past five years, yes, lots of strides have been made. But, you know, back in 2016, 2015 and 16, when I was getting started and coming up with the idea, um, there was a lack of diversity, um, especially within the, you know, with marketing and and advertising to consumers, uh, diverse consumer audiences. Um, So that was the, you know, that was the reason why I started it. Um, I also, and kind of, as you guys mentioned, I plan events. So, you know, back then I was actually subcontracting underneath an agency that was producing events for brands and in doing that work, that's when I realized like, Hey, like my friends want to come to these amazing events, like these dinner pairings, these, these, mm-hmm. you know, five, four and five course dinner pairings, these lovely tastings and, and, you know, get just to have these amazing experiences, um, that the brands were producing, they would go across the country and produce. Everything's kind of different now, right? Like that was the old world pre-COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, but yeah, but, you know, I, I kept asking the people I was working with, like, you know, who am I creating these events for? And when I realized it was then looking through their marketing directives, looking through their um their target audiences and, and literally like the way the agencies do it is a, you know, they look at an expression a brand creates and they say, okay, this one is for the eight, the 21 to 25 year olds. This one is a premium product. We're going for the 35 to 45 year olds. This is going for this demographic, this, um, this, uh, you know, financial, you know, whatever. Uh, and so it, it broke it down in, in, into statistics, but African-Americans were not a part of that outside of the urban demographic. Um, and so for those who are listening that don't know what the urban demographic is, so the urban demographic is pretty much, you know, that the younger kids, the 21 to, you know, 25, 28, you know, in college, fresh out of college, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like this hip hop, very, you know, lively crowd, shut the club down. Like, you know, they don't care. They, they're not drinking for quality. They're drinking because it's cheap and <laughs> that's what kids do, you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> That's what college kids do. It's there, but it is their first introduction to, mm-hmm. to, to, to the spirits, typically. Um, but outside of that, uh, th- there doesn't really speak to African Americans outside of the urban demographics. We were very labeled as 
again, that word urban, mm-hmm. it kind of gets annoying after a while. Um, and so really that's why I created a Black Urban Society because I wanted to show that there was a much more sophisticated, knowledgeable audience of diverse consumers, of Black consumers that the brands need to, to recognize. And what's, in, what's interesting is you see these marketing teams, you know, putting millions of dollars into a product where they think it should go. And then somebody like you says, well, you're not aiming in the right direction. You create this group and it's, is it thousands? It's thousands, thousands of oh, yeah, members. 5,000 members. So the they missed an entire marker, really. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, they missed the marker, um, but, but, <laughs> you know, can we blame them? You know, it's like, I'm from Los Angeles. I lived in, when I started Black Urban Society, I lived in Oakland. Um, I now live in Atlanta. So we do live, I'm going back to the story, we do live in quote unquote urban <laughs> areas, right? But that's not what the brands coming from rural Kentucky see. Yeah. And so it's really introducing them to what African-Americans actually do, what they actually look like, how they actually operate, how like how we mix mingle what we purchase other than you know, what you may see on TV or what you may read in somebody's marketing report. That's what it was. Is look, we brought out, we brought the brands literally to our audiences so they can see each other face to face. And when they did that, they were like, oh, wait a minute. This is way different than what I expected or what I thought. I would love to hear what your first conversation or some of your first conversations with those um, companies were like after you founded the Black Bourbon Society and first had to say, look, here's what we're observing, here's what we're seeing, and it's not a whole lot. So have you taken a look at the numbers? Have you taken a look at actually seeing and observing where the opportunity is? And and the thing that I love about that, the edge to that conversation, um, mm-hmm. I was reading an article, I think it was a New York Times article about you and your work, and the author was describing how, you know, most marketing agencies, they think about like, Southern old white dude sipping on bourbon. And that's like, that's the go-to. And honestly, that's something that dissuaded me from being like pursuing an interest in whiskey for a while. Cause you felt like, what is the space for you and enjoying this thing that should just be universally enjoyable. And how do you kind of break into that conversation? Right. Well, I think we made a clear business case from jump. Uh, when we introduced black bourbon society to the brands, it was just making them understand that African-Americans spend $1.3 billion a year on wine, spirits, and tobacco. And so when you pull out a number like that, um, and that number is actually outdated, we've got to do more research to see what the new numbers are, and I'm quite sure it's grown. Um, when you pull out a number like that, like it starts to click in the brand's brains really quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, shoot, like we are missing out on cultivating new demographics. Um, to your point, uh, middle-aged white men is always going to be the staple for the bourbon industry. And that's fine, mm-hmm. right? Like we're not trying to compete with that space. However, it, the business case is still, if brands want to go beyond what they're making um, and as far as profits, that yes, they can count on their staple demographic for that, but the business growth is in diverse communities and it's in marketing to women. And that's really where their focus needs to be if they want to continue to succeed and be successful, you know, as our community and as our country continues to diversify, as our country continues to be, you know, 
women are making just as much money, if not more, as men and are really starting to make these independent decisions. They're not getting stuck by those stigmas, you know, of what drinking, you know, the olden days of drinking whiskey. Um, Women are really starting to own this and feel empowered by drinking whiskey. So the, again, it was a business case, like, great, you're making good money, right? Off your basic, of your, of your bare bones, your core demographic. But if you want to grow, then you need to focus on these other opportunities. And that is in the women with the space with women and also with uh, diverse communities. Okay. So I, I love how you were saying, you know, that's something that you made a distinct choice and as part of the mission from Jump. So when you guys were first getting up and running with BBS, what were some of the first initiatives that you that you said, okay, now that we've got the concept down, now that we have the message and, and people's interest, what are the first couple things we want to put into action to really make this stick? Um, we started producing events right away with brands. And so again, you know, people ask me all the time, like what barriers did I come across when, you know, working with brands and telling them about the Bourbon Society? Again, as soon as we put together that business case and show them like, let me show you this audience. Let me introduce you to some folks. Let me, let us expand your marketing reach. The brands were on board. We really didn't come up with a lot of pushback. Uh, So we were able to get funding pretty quickly to start producing events. It just kind of spiraled from there. We started, you know, producing events in the Bay Area in the fall of 2016 And by spring of 2017, we were planning events here in Atlanta. And so the word of mouth, my personal network also kind of helped to just make it grow like wildfire, like the the demand to produce events, to experience Black bourbon society, even from the consumer perspective was there. And it was easy to say, like, go back to the brands and say, like, hey, like these audiences really want to get in front of you. Tell us more, you know, how do, how do, how do we produce these events? Can you give me a pot of money to do this? So, you know, mm-hmm. and we started producing. You, you had an, uh, I think like an auto reply to, to one of our emails that came up and I think you just put it so well in there. And like we, we, <laughs> we were talking about it. I was like, this is beautiful. It says, this is me, basically. If you don't get a response from me, don't be mad. Then it said, you know, you've gained three new job titles, homeschool teacher, home IT specialist, and the cafeteria lady. So I'd like to hear just just how that has sort of affected everything else, BBS, everything else you're doing in the community and all that, just sort of how you've needed to pivot there. Because the Black Bourbon Society still runs. It still moves forward. But their their leader is now a stay-at-home mom and cafeteria and all of that. Yeah, we're all curious. What does that what does that look yeah, like? How do you do it? How do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a really good support team. Um, and first and foremost, my my husband is my my biggest support team um and kind of keeping me sane and and kind of being like my buffer. He's like my body, he's my personal bodyguard, especially between me and my children at times. <laughs> um, just because, you know, there are times when I really do have to get work done. And I'm just like, look, I, I can't help you today, you know? And so he, he steps in and he's really the big buffer in between them. Um, but it was a lot of growing pains. It's still, it's still tough to manage. Um, but I did, uh, backing up just a little bit, you know, when COVID started, uh, we were doing great as a society. BBS was doing great. We were traveling, we were producing events, all of that. Of course, we had to pivot and switch to doing um, to thing to doing more virtual events um, and reworking everything. You know, coming up with virtual campaigns to still involve brands, working with our audience. At the same time, 
Black Urban Society tripled in size. Like our membership numbers went through the roof uh, just because people were bored and they didn't have anything to do. They were now looking like, okay, let me sit down. Let me learn a new hobby. Let me start making cocktails. Let me figure out what all this bourbon stuff is. Of course, you know, bourbon sales went sky high. Liquor sales went sky high last year too. Um, And so we really much like had to pivot, switch all that stuff. Um, And so I had to expand. I, I did. So I went from a one woman show with, you know, my bodyguard husband to having like a full on team. Like I have, I have a staff now. Um, and so I am learning to delegate as much as I possibly can, um, because that's the only thing that keeps the train moving, right? Like if stuff stays in my inbox, it just doesn't get done. Um, and it still kind of happens to this day, but <laughs> on certain projects. But I do have a staff that I can rely on to really keep things going. And um, in turn, they push me to make sure that I'm keeping up with them, too. We, When Aaron and I started Cast Chasers, it was the same idea. We had no idea what we were doing. And now, luckily, we have a great, a great team. Um, you know, our wives are a big part of it, um, friends and I think no other family members, right? Just just wives and friends. Um, but we have a great team around us that do great things. You said something in an interview that was probably I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold and say one of the most powerful things I've heard, and uh, something that made me stop, pause. The I was riding in my driving in my car, and I actually paused and thought about it. You said when as you grow to the top and you know move up that ladder, you find less and less people willing to be there with you. And oh yeah. I thought that was so powerful and impactful. This journey for Aaron and I and the team and with the podcast and our new director, Katie, who's been amazing, is amazing. We find it some ways harder and harder to find that discussion of what we do next and what the show looks like and trusting, like you said, trusting the people around us to tell us when we're wrong, which is hard for <laughs> which is hard for us. Can you talk a little more more about that? Because it really did. It really, it really resonated with me. It really meant something that that little line meant so much to me. Oh, there's so many, there's so much meaning behind that for me. Um, you know, in the past five years from growing BBS. Um, <laughs> so first of all, when I started BBS, I was married to a different person. <laughs> That's a change, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and he uh, was probably the, my number one biggest hater. Um, mm. He did not want me to grow BBS. He didn't see the value. He didn't see the vision. Um, and tried to along, you know, the, that first year of development was really trying to sabotage the work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, of course, some other layers to that, right? But uh, a part of that was he was very intimidated about PBS and didn't want to grow it. So I had to cut him loose. Right? <laughs> hey, sorry. Sorry, we're going through some downsizing measures with this. You just, your position's been obsoleted. You know, what is it you'd say you do here? <laughs> So we had to get rid of him. Um, but then along with that, you know, uh, on that journey um, to entrepreneurship and really following your passions, right? It's, it is sometimes, and, it, and again, in, in the work that we do, because we're bourbon adjacent, we're not necessarily industry, we're all doing this in our unique ways. Um, we're all kind of like figuring this out as we go along. There's no blueprint to what any of us do. Um, and so you have to get used to kind of walking in the dark with that. And just kind of just feeling your way through. 
your friends, some family don't understand that dedication. They don't understand that passion. They don't understand your purpose or what I like to call, they may not understand what your assignment is. Mm. And so with that being said, it's like being so focused and being so so dedicated to your assignment. Um, friends start to fall off. Some family may start to fall off too, just because they end up stunting your growth. Um, and so it can be a lonely road at times and, you know, but you do find your way. And, um, I've been blessed to, to get through that, that period where it's, and it feels really isolating, you know, it's no one's in your, like, it's all in your head. Like, that's what I, like the vision is all in your head. So nobody can see it. Nobody can understand it. Nobody can feel it and touch it the way that you can. It is isolating. You kind of get used to that. But as long as you keep going on your journey and you're dedicated to that journey, there's inserts of like people just pop up at the right time. Introductions get made at the right time. Next thing you know, you do have a staff. You do have a team that is fully on board and trust your leadership and trust your vision. And they're there to support you. I just kind of feel like that's just the universe removes things you don't need. And then the universe gives you things. They give you exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. Tamara, I really want to thank you for saying all those things like that. That really struck a chord with me. Um, Are we fired? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's been some downsizing, some positions. (laughs) I don't think that's what she was saying. I think she said empower. (laughs) No, 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 no. no. I'm reading between the lines. I get it. You guys are, (laughs) you guys are are awesome. Um, But no, the, the thing that really hit me so outside of my day job and even before joining Cast Chasers in this capacity, um, I started or helped start a small business that, you know, it's an entertainment venue that started right before uh, COVID, you know, opening days a month and a half before everything shut Smart. down. Smart. Yeah. Planned it so well. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the things that you just shared as far as the journey and trying to stay true to your passions, even when people maybe don't even understand kind of what's driving you or what the vision is. Cause it's all right here. Yeah. I, I feel like on one hand, the mental fortitude that you develop from kind of having to go through that journey and maybe get a little bit keener about learning who's really a friend and an ally and an advocate versus like, who's just kind of sticking around and maybe could be dead weight about this stuff. It's just, or once free whiskey. <laughs> Well, that's always the case. Yeah, we found a few of them. We know who you, right. to the listeners, we know who you are. Right. Okay. We know who you are. We know the advocates. We know the, uh, like, can I uh, top off? We know who's part? supporting us and we know who just wants to drink for free. Guys, so. I'm sitting right here. <laughs> but no, like, it makes a difference. And it, and my hope, and, and one of the things that sounds like you've been fortunate in seeing, and I feel like all of us have been fortunate in too, it's almost like it accelerates your learning curve. And really finding the people that are going to help you take it to the next level more quickly than you would have otherwise, you know? Absolutely. And, and but a part of that is also self, right? Because it's, you know, it's easy for entrepreneurs to be like, no, this is my baby. It has to be done my way. It has to be the way I envisioned it. But a good leader realizes when they've got a good team around them that it's okay to let it go. And it's okay to let it be what it is. It doesn't have to be me that actually does this. And so that's a, that's a lesson. I, 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 if you're an entrepreneur, if you're anybody in life, if you've survived, if you've survived COVID even, you need a therapist. (laughs) But, you know, especially as someone who is an entrepreneur and really wanting to be that leader, like 
um, having someone to just kind of coach you through that, get rid of some of your trust issues, your ego issues, all that stuff, and allow you to empower the folks that work with you on your team, right? So yeah, okay, fine. If they want free whiskey, great, <laughs> but you have to work for it, right? Like, oh, can you send out these emails for me? Can you update the calendar for me? Like, what tasks can you do? And sure, I'll, I'll ship you all the samples you want, right. you know? <laughs> Um, but, but there's a trade for that and, and letting go. And so I did have to learn that. I will say like, this is, you know, this is not perfect, but once I realized I had a good team with me, I had to let some of the things go. So now like when we produce events, I, and I realized this five years in, I no longer back, back then I used to come up with the idea, like do all the logistics, do all the marketing, like design the flyer, like everything. (laughs) And then like in there and like welcome people in, like take the tickets. Right. I did like every single possible function in producing an event. Now I realize like that's asinine. That's crazy. I don't <laughs> I can't. I'm gonna I have to be the lunch lady and the tech lady. Like I have all these other roles. Like I can't do that. So now it's like, okay, I have a team with me. What do I like the most about this whole thing? I love dreaming up new concepts and new ideas, new campaigns. So sit on the phone with my two, my two, um, my, I call them my uh, superwoman squad. Cause everyone who like the main core leadership of BBS are a bunch of black, badass black women. It's nice. like not nice. excellent. Um, and so, uh, so I get on the phone with my super women, my superheroes. And I just tell like, look, what if we did X, Y, and Z? How does that sound if we did this with this brand? Like, does that meet their drink strategy? Does that meet their their marketing goals? And they always say, yes, that's great. But what if we also did this? And then someone else chimes in and says, yeah. And then we can add in this other layer. So now it's like they take the vision and just run with it and make it 10 times better than what I have ever done on my own. Just because like, they have the capacity to dream up and and bring in their own creativity and just layer it on top of the campaigns that well, I originally have. Let's give them a shout out. What are their names? Oh, that's Randy and Mackenzie. Yeah. Those, those are my- those are my girls. That's awesome. <laughs> Sometimes, well, we do the we do a lot of events pre, prior to COVID. We would do whiskey tastings and dinner pairings, and we've tried to do some small stuff, small scale during just to keep everything running. Um, you know, my wife does events. You know, Aaron's wife, um, Christina, does merch. You know, we have such a great team. Sometimes it's a point where I walk around and I go, I don't know what it is I do here. And <laughs> I think a hundred percent. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I think not. I think that's. Aaron and I passing that torch to people that we know can do it better and make, to your point, to take the vision of what we are and to make it something more and bigger. And you see it grow. You just see it do awesome things. I mean, again, you're a testament to that. I've watched you grow. I've been, a you know, I, in the past couple of years, I've followed just because I'm, an, I'm a whiskey guy. So everything whiskey I want to be a part of. I want to know what it's doing and how it breathes, how it lives and what's happening. So I've watched and I've seen the skyrocket kind of thing happen in a cool way so it shows that you have a great team following your vision and and then doubling it from there and i'm glad you said that um you know anybody anybody who has survived covid is trying to do something through this uh should have a therapist because it's actually turning into a therapy session for me um i'm i'm really enjoying this conversation but uh, to you bob, cry less you I, cry I, less i do now. i do i cry less <laughs> now which is nice but no to bobby's point we're uh we all the time just feel like we're two idiots who want to drink and talk about whiskey. You know, uh, we're, we are, you know, 
passionate about it. We, but th- we are lucky enough that we have somehow surrounded ourselves with people that are a lot smarter than us. I feel in a lot of ways, in especially in you know different aspects. Katie, who tries her darndest to keep us on track. Um, both it's of our wives, <laughs> yeah, both of our wives who also love whiskey, so that helps, but are also passionate about cast chasers about the whiskey group about you know sort of everything we're doing our projects our events and all that and um but then people like you coming on yeah exactly and we then, we have an audience and we get free therapy we so get that's free, nice. yeah and business advice that's all this <laughs> was <laughs> free business advice no, we're not recording anything. people would pay for this and we got it for free um no but People, I'm not a therapist. Yeah. I just want people to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's not. She, I mean, I'm just an old lady with lived experience. <laughs> hey, I heard you were 40 under 40. I don't want to hear old. Come right. on. <laughs> but people like you coming on and, and agreeing to talk, and we bring that to our listeners, and they appreciate that, and they hear it, and they learn something new, or they learn about something new that's out there. That's what makes us credible. So, yeah, that's a big part of it. So we are whiskey people, right? The core. Yep. What it, what do you drink? Talk to us. Talk. Let's talk whiskey a little bit. What's your? I don't want to. I hate the question of favorite because that's a, it's a stupid question. What what <laughs> right. day is it? What am I feeling? Is it winter? Is it summer? What what are you drinking lately? What are you finding yourself in love with lately? Um. Well, right now we're in the middle of a campaign with um, Michters and Bronca. So um, I'm drinking. I'm drinking a lot of Michters uh, for the Black Manhattan Project. Um. So lots of lots of. Manhattans, lots of Amaros. I'm not a coffee drinker, but I've been drinking a lot of Borghetti lately, which is like a coffee liqueur, espresso liqueur, Um, because, you know, our bartenders are throwing it into their Manhattans for extra flavor and layers and texture. Um, But but I will say, like, you know, during the month of February, Michter's for sure. Um, We've got, I don't know, I kind of, drink so much that I enjoy not drinking. So like <laughs> today I'm on water. Yeah. Uh, but that's because we just, my husband and I spent a couple hours yesterday um, going through 12 uh, samples for a barrel pick that we will do probably later on in the year with barrel bourbon. Uh, so that's fun. Right. But um, I, I did enough drinking yesterday going through those <laughs> and those uh, samples and I'm a very heavy pour so um, <laughs> fit right in <laughs> I, I don't I don't do the, the 0.5 ounce like well it tastes and spit type of a thing um no I actually want to enjoy each expression and 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 really get a chance to feel it so I drink a lot yesterday <laughs> so we get a lot of whiskey sent to us thankfully because of what we do and everything and it kind of just shows up and it's the, well, it'd be rude not to drink it. <laughs> I mean, at this point, we kind of have to. We, uh, we're obligated, if anything. Can you talk a little bit about, A, uh, the Black Manhattan Project, which is, you know, I, for February. Um, this episode, I think, is coming out in March, but we're talking in February. And then also a little bit about Diversity Distilled, which are sort of two of your kind of newer things, if you wouldn't mind. Um, absolutely. So the Black Manhattan Project is... Um, our hashtag viral campaign that we've created again with our sponsors, Mictor and Bronca. Um, and it is to uh, continue to kind of bring visibility and awareness to our nonprofit organization, uh, Diversity Distilled, uh, which essentially is was founded um, to advocate and consult. It's a consulting um, firm. Um, consult with the industry on ways to be more diverse and inclusive in their workforce. 
what we realized through our work with Black Urban Society five years in is that you know just marketing to diverse communities is 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 just is one thing, but it's very much on the outer layer of the spirits industry. Um, we're kind of like on the perimeter. Um, but if you want to get to the nucleus, if you want to get to the inner workings of the spirits industry, um, you have to change B&I strategies from within the corporate culture and from within their corporate structure. And that's what diversity distilled um, is charged to do. Um, and that's really looking at it from three different ways, from recruitment, retention, and promotion. So, you know, again, we're working with Black Mermaid Society, uh, we often work with, um, well, we work with the multicultural division. I, I used to insist that we did not work with the multicultural departments of these brands um, and that we took from their general budget. I kind of get a little indignant with some of these cases. But we, you know, we understand that, yes, there's diversity with the boots on the ground of the spirits industry. Uh, that's on your on and premise, on and off premise accounts. Even in being in brand ambassadors, we see that there's diversity and what the representation of the brands, um, you know, from a from a consumer perspective. But what we needed to see really, and when it came to like advertising and marketing, when it came up to strategy and, and building and connecting and all of that, um, it needed to be internal. And so it was like, how do we get more diversity into the how do we get it more up into the managerial level, but also into the executive level within these organizations? And so that's what we're really trying to do is we can get diversity at those key decision-making tables in those rooms at the top of the organization, then DNI will actually flow easier through the organization and out to its consumers. It'll be more natural than, as opposed to just like a reaction or thing. And they're receptive to this. I mean, you, you said a lot of these, I mean, obviously just because they're, you know, partnering with you, are these companies looking out for, are they coming to you and saying, help us from an outside point of view too? Are you being sought after for that? Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the turning point, honestly, again, you know, 2020 was quite a juicy uh, but the turning point was uh, the murders of Breonna Taylor and uh, George Floyd. And really, you know, the, the whole movement, this racial reckoning that we were thrusted into over the summer. Um, and the brands, you know, in response to that, were a little slow and showing solidarity to what was going on, um, you know, racially in our society. And so we really had to to have some tough conversations over the summer saying like, hey, like this plays into a larger picture. Right. Not only is this a social, this is a social responsibility, but you know, how can you do your part as a corporation, as a company to be more inclusive and more diverse um, and to continue to advocate for these things. And so that's, um, that since that has happened, there has been way much of an urgency mm-hmm. to, to do this uh, within the industry. I just wanted to pull up. So there was a quote from um, the open letter that the Black Bourbon Society published to the bourbon and American whiskey industry. And one section of it uh, that you wrote just resonated so strongly with me. We have made your barrels. We have built your wreck houses. We have harvested your corn. We have bottled your product. We have played every role except one of leadership to make this industry what it is today. And And the way that you just laid that out there, coupled with everything that you just said, I mean... I'm glad to hear that there's a sense of urgency around how do you cultivate leadership from the inside out and get a diversified group of people at a decision-making level. Cause I mean, statistics outside of just like basically doing the right thing, you know, it's, it's a good thing. It's a profitable thing, but 
what are some of your your favorite um, success stories, if you have any, of people who have really leaned into that message and that conversation with you? It's still too early to have major success. Okay, fair, <laughs> fair point. Um, yeah, you know, DNI is 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 the the work can can be done. Like there are some immediate changes that you can make, um, but overall, like the mindsets, um, it, it's going to take a while. It's going to you know, it's going to take a while to see this, and then. You know, after we start to see some transitions being made, then kicks in the accountability piece of it, mm-hmm. which is gonna, what's going to take the longest part is to make sure that this is not just solving the moment and just a trend for now, but this is like actually embedded into the corporate strategy forever. More immediate successes that we've seen, you've seen some some major hiring decisions being made around DNI. Uh, so one in particular was Moet Hennessy. They have a uh, a DNI. Um, they have a new position for diversity and inclusion um, for all of North America. Like they've made it into oh, wow. their entire like it's a C-suite level position, and it's a position that also has a seat with the global team. You know, for for LVMH. So that's huge. Um, we saw Jim Beam. They recently they had a DNI manager before that. Um, but now they have like a chief diversity role. So now this position is even higher. This position is working right, you know, in the C-suite, working right along with the executive team to really create some DNI work. Um, you've seen several uh, ERG groups, employee resource groups start to pop up. So African-American um, ERGs, um, Latino, Asian ERG groups that are now starting to kind of pop up. So um, so they're forming communities and affinity groups within the organization um, and coming up with ways to really advocate for DNI within their own workspace. So those are some of the immediate things that are happening, but you know, it's gonna take a while. Mm-hmm. And we're I mean, we're in it for the long haul. And I, I love for that reason too, the call out to retention as being one of those three pillars of the organization. It's just, you know, I've, I've worked at a couple of companies that, um, don't prioritize or don't even think about retention in general, like forget, right. forget DNI, forget other groups or, or anything. It's just, you know, the thought process is very much get people in, hopefully get the right people in, try and train them up and then let's just keep rolling. So I, I really respect the forward thinking and long-term thinking of saying, no, no, it's not just enough to, like you said, solve for what's in the moment. We have to make sure we're laying a foundation that continues to grow and cultivate itself to to address this larger issue. Absolutely. And, you know, where that comes from is mentorship within the organization. Um, and so, like I kind of mentioned earlier, that there are, like, multicultural, like, departments within some of these brands. But what we found out, and this was pre-COVID, we started to have these internal conversations. But what we found out is there's no pathway for growth for those employees that are stuck in that mm-hmm. multicultural department. So there's literally like, what do you do after you've worked multicultural boots on the ground for two to three years? There's no opportunity to, to leverage up. There's no opportunity to grow. So then they leave and they go work for somebody else. Um, and so that's a part of the turnover. And again, a part of the reason why DNI is not sticking with these organizations because there's no pathways. So unfortunately, you know, we have to have some tough conversations uh, with middle management, because that's often like the buffer. And I'm sorry if anybody is listening is a manager. I won't take it personally. Don't say sorry. They need to hear it. They need to hear it. Tell yeah, us. Bobby. But <laughs> a 
eight out of ten. Like that, they made that movie horrible bosses for you. I was hoping we were going to throw a reference in. <laughs> like you are the barrier between someone being able to grow within a company. Is your your manager's a hater? So we've got to really do some stuff. You know, I, we talk a lot about psychology, but this is all you know. DNI work is is very close to psychology, and we've got to really implement you know some training in here to get folks to, to open up and not be such haters or not to you know egos yeah. you know or permission to, to make it a priority it. too you know yeah I, I've run into that so many times and uh, a friend of mine who is in middle management and sales sent this article over to me and I've, I have a good working relationship with this guy he's grown over his ego a good bit in the last few years and he's he's in a good spot now which I got to give respect to but the article he sent to me, it was it was about the pressures of middle management and especially mm-hmm. in certain organizations that really struggle with having defined roles and have a certain short term focus and strictly immediate performance focus. Mm-hmm. So when you are able to reach almost above that level and really, you know, as you were saying, like get to the point where there are key decision makers at play that want to make it a conversation and want to say, you know what, diversity and inclusion is as important to make a focus of as anything else that falls into your job. I mean, that's, that's huge. Cause I feel like that yeah. helps people lift their head up and, and think more holistically about things. When consumers want to be a part oh. of that. Right. I mean, yeah. that's the thing I think, you know, our background is sales and something we have to remember is what does the consumer want? And the consumer doesn't just want the product. They want the company that's doing the thing that's bettering the world. That's doing something innovative. That's being inclusive. That's doing the right, like she said, the right thing. I think you have mm-hmm. a consumer to consider too. And if people consider that aspect, maybe I'll get more business if I'm not being that guy, you know, not being that person that's not allowing or, or stepping into the ring when I should, or, you know, I think that's a big part of it. Well, and to that point, you know, that's a big part of the, the education that we do with Black Corporate Society. So, we, you know, we do more than events. We do a lot of education, especially this year, um, being that we are in a virtual space. Uh, we spent a ton of time focusing on educating the consumer um, and building a conscious consumer. So not only, you know, does your, we want to know about your product and how your product was made, the mash bill, proof and all that sort of stuff. That's great. But what else is your company doing to be sustainable? What is your company's charge towards social responsibility? What is their, you know, what are their DNI efforts that are happening you know, those are all things that make uh, bourbon consumers loyalists of brands. You know, it's, it goes way beyond taste. At the end of the day, you guys probably have 300, probably more than that. I've got 300 bottles, the last that I counted. But like you said, we get whiskey sent to our house two, three times a week. It shows right? up. Yeah, it just shows up. I'm not complaining. No, no, I'm not <laughs> mad. I'm not, don't stop. But. <laughs> but, you know, what really makes it special, right? After you've had the first dram, second dram, whatever, it's like, eh, onto the next thing, eh, onto the next thing, you know? But the thing that makes um, you loyal to that brand is their their responsibility. And it's what they're doing for the community, for society, that goes beyond just whiskey. It's always bigger. What what we tell our members, it's always bigger than bourbon. It has to be bigger than right. that. Um, and so that's what we're really interested with and what we stress when we educate our membership base on like what brands they should support, what brands they should buy, 
look beyond the label. What are they doing as a company, as an organization? I think it's, I think whiskey is a great platform too, because I've worked in, you know, I was military and then I, I worked in sales, corporate sales and everything. Whisk, the whiskey world has shown itself to be, I, I think, to a degree inclusive. I think, you know, we look at women in the industry of whiskey, it's 41% is it's, the makeup. Yeah. And um, the spirit of inclusivity too. It's all there to a degree. I mean, they still have their hurdles and everything. We do a yeah. lot of charity events. It's a big part of what Cast Chasers is. We do a yearly charity event. Our first one, we reached out to these huge distilleries and, you know, folks in whiskey asking for donations and things to help our, our event. We were overwhelmed with people that just wanted to. They couldn't say yes fast enough to, stop, which yeah. blew us away because we're, we're it, it's like we're reaching out to rock it, stars right. at that point. And they're like, oh, yeah, what can we do for you? Uh, so I think. I think whiskey. Hello. I think whiskey. I think the whiskey community is a great. If you're look, if you have a microscope and you want to study a great organization or a business or an entity that's doing it right to a degree, still needs work, but to a degree, I think it's such a cool thing to focus on. There's more than just whiskey in the bottle, pun intended. Mm-hmm. There is, there is, you know, it's artistic. It's it's people with. You're allowed to be innovative. You're allowed to have different ideas. You're allowed to, you know, tell stories. You're allowed to be truthful or. You know, you're allowed to challenge people when they make up stories. You know, you're you're allowed. And I think that's what's so cool about this industry is you're just allowed to with government regulation, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Mara, it's a good way to put it. The cup, you always have to throw the TTV in there. (laughs) They're there. They're there whether you want them. They're not always listening. (laughs) So, Samara, we've talked so much about topics that are just, I don't know, it's, it's made for an excellent conversation. I think a really heartfelt conversation and uh-huh. one that we would love to continue with you on future episodes, in-person tastings, anything like that. But before Absolutely. we kind of wind down, maybe you can tell us a little bit about, you know, what does the future of Black Bourbon Society, you know, look like post COVID? What is the future of diversity distilled look like as we hopefully crest out of the pandemic situation that we're on and maybe can get back to some events? Yeah. Um, well, for Black Bourbon Society, we are dipping our toe back into doing in-person events. We did an event a couple of weeks ago here in Atlanta um, that was safe. I've been in quarantine for 10 days and everybody is well um, so far. So that was really good. But, you know, that event was a 30-person event, so super intimate. Um, we did it around Valentine's Day. And so each couple was sitting at their own table, you know, all spread out in a ballroom. So we were still able to have um, this experience where we could taste the whiskey and do a food pairing with it, have the education. They even made their own cocktail at their table. Ooh. So it was super sweet and, and cute um, with our sponsors, Woodford Reserve and Woodford Double Oak was the major sponsor for that event. And so that went off without a hitch. That was a great uh, first run of an event. Uh, we also do have a partnership coming down the pipeline with Jim Beam, um, and we hope to do a, a hybrid approach to that. So it'll be, you know, focused on several different cities, but, you know, some of it will be like a pickup and go on and get on Zoom later. Another one will be, you know, maybe it's, you know, five or six different tasting sessions with just 20 to 25 people, again, super social distance so that we can still have some sort of um, educational and in, in food pairing experience. Because we miss that. We all miss like just being able to lay eyeballs on people and feel their energy, you know? 
Um, so we are going to push more for that, especially as the vaccine continues to roll out and more and more people get inoculated. Uh, so this is my health PSA for the moment. Please get the vaccine. I don't care if you don't want it, but get it for me. That's right. <laughs> there you right. Yes. You heard it here. <laughs> because this, you know, this is our livelihood. Like we, we need to be able to 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 get to at least seventy five percent of herd immunity so that we can get back to some sort of normalcy, right? So just get it. Um, so we we want to start rolling that out. We want to start doing our trips. Uh, you know, we were doing trips to Louisville twice a year before COVID. Um, so we need to get back to doing our trips to Louisville as soon as the distilleries open up and are ready to receive tours again. But, you know, from the demand from the membership, the membership is like, we just don't want to go to Kentucky now. Now we want to go to New York. Like there is a whole distillery scene, you know, in New York. There's a whole bourbon scene in Texas. Baltimore, like maybe. Whole, <laughs> you know, yeah, like. There's there's a couple of distilleries in that D.C. metro, you know, and Baltimore area. So there's plenty of places for us to travel. Just folks are just ready to go. Our folks want to go to Ireland and Scotland, nice. you know, nice. and they want to start going to those distilleries, too. So a lot more travel is in our future as soon as it's safe. Sure. Um, a lot more in-person events um, and just continuing to do more educational things. You know, we just want to make sure that every like, again, consumers are informed. They didn't have to know what they're drinking. They have to know you know, the importance of it in the brands. We really want to continue to do some education around that. With diversity distilled, like I said, we got our work cut out for us. Um, you know, this first round is, yes, we're getting all the key pieces in place. Getting some DNI leadership in each one of these companies is huge. But then also starting to implement and roll out what that strategy looks like, not only from a recruitment standpoint, but again, what does that retention look like? How do we eliminate bias um, and key um, key uh, leadership positions and, and key decision makings for organizations? And how do we make a more inclusive approach? Um, and again, I'm, if you haven't under, if you haven't picked up the cues, like I'm not necessarily a fan of the multicultural division because I think it's like a shoebox. Mm -hmm. uh, but how do we how do we um, encourage brands? to take an all-inclusive approach to their sales. It's not mm. just a multicultural division to market to diverse communities. It should be everybody's um, part of, like you said, it should be a part of everybody's benchmarks, right? It should be everybody's responsibility to make sure that they can market their products to an inclusive and diverse audiences. So we've got work to do. I hope you, well, it's good that you have 30 plus bottles of bourbon then because hard work it. and drinking makes it a little easier. <laughs> well, no, I said, I said 300. Yeah, 300. That's what That's I meant. Right. Yeah. Slipped a yeah, zero. <laughs> yeah, we would have been out of that. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we would have been out of that a long time ago. These days I work more than I drink. So. Yeah, you have to be. Uh, you got to be sober to do this work. Yeah. People, and it's on that, people assume that we just drink all the time because I have a whiskey room. It's called the whiskey room. And people see it that aren't whiskey people and they, they're I'm worried about you. Bobby, I'm yeah. worried. I'm yep. concerned. And I'm like, I actually don't drink as much as people would think I'd drink. It's maybe right. once a week or, you know, if I'm doing a, the show or maybe a tasting or an event, but really I'm prepping for that and. When I do drink, I can go a little far sometimes, you know, no. I'm a human being. 
but I don't drink as often as people would assume. And I think that's the respect for the art too. I, I don't do shots. I don't, you know, I don't do things like that, but, um, unless I'm coaxed or it's my birthday. <laughs> no, a couple of years ago, um, I was, you know, doing all this meditation. Well, I still do it, but I was going through like this whole transition in my life. And the thing around, something around addiction just kept popping up for me. And I really had to take a good analysis of my life and my lifestyle and like, what am I addicted to? What am I, what's going on here? What addictions do I need to drop? And I looked at how much coffee I drank and realized mm. if I was drinking whiskey like I drank coffee, I'd be, a, I'd be an alcoholic. Sure. And so I had to, the addiction that I cut was coffee. <laughs> like, and so I'm not a, I'm not a coffeeholic anymore. Um, so that's why I drink lots of water, lots of tea. And every once in a while I sit down and enjoy my whiskey. That's beautiful. Okay. I will never stop drinking coffee. <laughs> I can't. You're a powerful. That's, that's empowering because I don't know. I have, to, I drink about I, a gallon. It's gross. Yeah. Too much. <laughs> See, if you drank if you drank whiskey like you drank coffee, I'd be dead. Then, like, <laughs> I'd sleep more. <laughs> she said, "Oh, Bobby." <laughs> I'd sleep more though. I don't. Yeah. Well, now I feel like I need to just talk. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Inter- it is this an was, intervention. This was my therapy Surprise. session, man. Lots of therapy going on. That's right. That's right. But you know, a lot of folks get concerned when we talk about whiskey and having these major collections. And it's like, nah, some of y'all are addicted to a lot of different things. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. We do a um, we do a dry month. A lot of places, a lot of um, whiskey enthusiast groups and things like that do. But um, I think it is. I think things like that are important. You know, take a month off. If you can't take a month off, if you can't take a week off, you may want to look in the mirror yeah. and figure out what's going on. But uh, yeah. we we try to do a month. COVID makes it hard. But, um, yeah, there's a reason bourbon sales have gone kids. up. These, these kids make it hard because yeah. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. where's, where's my cocktail? Like, yeah. what, what's going on here? It's noon. I'm doing this. Uh, many, many, <laughs> many days when I, when I come home uh, from work, my wife, who is working full time at home and has all three of our kids there often, one of the first things I do is I start prepping for dinner and I make her an old fashioned. And it's just, I <laughs> just walk in the door. We don't even discuss it. And here you go. Um, nice. uh, as we're sort of starting to uh, wind down here, Samara, um, I, I, I wanted, is there anything specific coming up? Keeping in mind that this is going to be this episode's coming out in March. Anything specific coming up for you for Black Bourbon Society? Uh, anything you want to plug or just anything you want to say? The 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 local supermarket. I don't care. What whatever you got. Um, I think the only thing I'm I'm I have exact dates on is that we'll be celebrating our fifth year anniversary in May. Wow. Very nice. And, uh, we've got Congrats. some really really big surprises in store with that. Uh, you know, we did a private barrel with Maker's Mark two years of three years ago that ended up getting a double gold at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Yep. And so we're going to pick another one and um, and release that in in line with our fifth anniversary in May. So lots of exciting surprises around that. Um, so just keep your eyes and ears open uh, for more details on um, our big announcement with Maker's Mark um, coming up in May. That's awesome. Right. I love it. Well, this again, this is definitely something we're going to have to redo and and do just because I'm it was so, so enjoyable. So, Samara, thank you so much for being on. Um, thank you. We really do it's appreciate it. Yeah. It's been yeah. Good. I'm all the warm fuzzies right now. No, it's it's a not good just com- a what a great conversation, yeah. honestly. <laughs> 
You guys are awesome. I love what you're doing. And oh. yeah, I have you on anytime. Next time I will I'll have a little jam. But after that, taste like, of we'll, co- we'll coordinate something last yeah. time. So we're all drinking the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Awesome.